in the house. Now, now, now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Well, good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Man. Man. Man, thank y'all. Thank y'all so much. Wow, this is amazing. Um, as Isaac mentioned, my name's Thomas. Uh, I'm super excited to just get to speak with y'all tonight uh, and get to share what's on my heart with y'all tonight. Um, y'all can go ahead and turn to your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew 5 tonight. Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48. That's where we're going to spend our time tonight. And while you're turning there, allow me to uh, set up our night with a little story, okay? I'm going to tell you all the story of the closest that I ever got to getting into a fight, all right? And I emphasize closest, right? If you were here last week, Pastor Chris talked about how he's like 100% fight response, fights all the time, whatever. I'm kind of the opposite. I'm not much of a fighter. That may come as a shock to some of y'all, I know. But I don't have much fight response in me. I don't really have a flight that much either. I'm just kind of... Eh, like, you know, it's fine. Um, but that's the context for the story going into this, okay? It takes a lot to get me to the point where I want to fight someone, right? So a little about me, I grew up in church, grew up going to church my whole life. Um, I was really involved in my student ministry back in the day. And while I was in student ministry in high school, there was this guy there that I could not stand, right? He was the stereotypical definition of a bully, uh, he would mess with me any chance he got. He would make fun of me, pick at me, whatever. I hated this dude. Couldn't stand him, okay? And one day, we're in the gym. We're playing basketball. And this guy is standing probably about where the front row is from me, like 10 feet away. He decides he's going to take a basketball and throw it as hard as he can at my face, right? Um, and say what you will about this guy. He had good aim, okay? <laughs> right? So he got me right here, right on the side of the face. Um, and it, you know, knocked me out for a second. I was like blacked out, like what just happened? And I look up and I look in the distance and I see this guy laughing at me. I see him just standing there laughing. And what was going through my head was the, uh, the fight scene from Spider-Man, the first one with Tobey Maguire, right? Where he gets his superpowers and all of a sudden he like sees his bully Flash coming at him and he does a backflip over him and he punches him across the hallway, right? That's what's going through my head, right? I'm like, it's time. This I've had enough. Like, I'm going to take care of this right now, you know. So I get up, and like I said, never been in a fight before, so I'm like, okay, what am I going to do here? And so I go up to him. I get in his face. I'm like, you think that's funny, bro? Like, you think that's funny? And he's like, yeah, I do. And I'm like, okay, I didn't expect this. Like, <laughs> I haven't gotten to this point before. I don't know what I'm supposed to do from here, right? But my fist is clenched. I'm ready. I'm like, I'm going to do it. It's time, right? And so I'm about to do it. And then something stops me. And I think partly I realized I'm not Spider-Man and I don't have powers. And this probably is not going to go nearly as well as I expected, right? Um, but the other thing I realized is that growing up in church, you know, I knew this wasn't the right thing to do, right? I knew I wasn't supposed to fight somebody that was my enemy. You know, I'd heard Pastor Chris's message before, turn the other cheek. I'm not supposed to fight, right? I've read the passage we're going to read tonight about loving your enemies. And I knew, like, this is not something I'm supposed to do, right? So I, I turned away, I backed down, I walked away. Um, and while it was good that I didn't fight the guy right, I wasn't satisfied with this response. You know, I, was, I turned away, but I was like, this doesn't feel good. Like, what am I supposed to do now? You know, should I avoid him for the rest of my life? Like, should I just be bitter and angry about it and mad at this guy? 
Should I uh, be the bigger person and forgive him and uh, try to be friends? I really don't want to do that, right? Like, I, that's the last thing I want to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to respond to this guy. And I, I don't think I'm alone here, right? I think all of us have had enemies before, right? Raise your hand if you've never had an enemy, anyone in this room, right? Yeah, see, nobody. We've all had enemies before. Um, maybe for you it was a bully, similar to me. You had somebody who was messing with you and you couldn't stand them, right? Maybe for you it was an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend, right, who things ended poorly and you're not on good speaking terms with and you want nothing to do with that person anymore. Maybe it's a coworker who, uh, you know, is out gunning for your job or got a promotion over you and now you're like, okay, how am I supposed to react to this person because they're out to get me and trying to ruin my career, right? Uh, maybe it's a roommate that you thought you were going to get along with and have a great relationship with, and now it's awkward and there's tension and they don't do their dishes, and you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here, right? We've all had enemies before, and I think we've all asked ourselves this question. This is what I was asking myself. How do I interact with my enemy, right? How do I interact with my enemy, right? Because inevitably, there's going to be moments in our life where there's people that we don't like that are out to harm us or people that are against us or opposed to us and we're going to have to interact with them, right? Some of them may be in this room, you know? Don't point fingers, but you're going to have to be in a room with these people at times. How am I supposed to engage with this person? And luckily for us, this is what Jesus spends the next portion of the Sermon on the Mount talking about. So we're going to spend our time trying to answer this question tonight. Uh, we're going to see what Jesus has to say about it. Um, so if you will, it's on the screen. You can read along with me. We're going to start here in verse 43, Matthew 5, 43 to 48. And it says this, You have heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Right? So here's our answer. How do we interact with our enemy? Just be perfect. Right? That's all you got to do. Band, y'all can come back up. We're done tonight. Uh, no, there's a lot going on in this passage, right? Um, it's a lot, and we're going to break it down some. I think if we look at a little deeper, there's some just beautiful, simple truths to this message. Um, and that's what we're going to spend our time trying to talk through. But before we get into that, before we get into answering our question, I think it's going to be helpful for us to first define uh, what a neighbor is or who a neighbor is and who an enemy is. Okay, so it'll be on your screen here. I have a little chart for us. And the reason I think this is important is because the Pharisees had issues with definitions, right? They had this issue where they would see the word neighbor, the term neighbor, and they would try to define it in a way that allowed them to love as few people as possible while hating as many as possible, right? So they would say, I'm going to uh, narrow down my definition of neighbor in a way that lets me only love a few people. So for the Pharisees, their definition was this. It was fellow Jews, only people who had the same religious beliefs, the same culture as them, right? Everybody else was an enemy, right? So they would take this term and they would use it as a way to justify hatred and control and a way to exploit and be spiteful towards people that were their enemies, right? Um, so everyone else was their enemy. And so what they would do, they would see these other people groups, right? They would see the tax collectors, they would see the Gentiles, they would see the Samaritans, and they would say, okay, because these people are a different culture than us, or they don't have the same beliefs as us, uh, we're going to not associate with them, 
we are going to insult them, we're going to treat them as inferior people, and we might even try to harm them, right? We might seek their harm. And I think this is important because if we're not careful, we're guilty of this too, right? We'll fall into this trap. Let me tell you a, a story that I saw that illustrates this the other, uh, very well, a story that I saw the other day um, that illustrates just how we can fall into this trap of a narrow definition of neighbor. So another thing to know about me is that I love Facebook. Facebook is my primary form of social media. Um, Britt and Dana make fun of me all the time and tell me I need to get with the times. Like Facebook's out, it's all TikTok and Instagram now, right? But I don't care, I love it, I use it anyways. Um, you can call me a boomer if you want, I don't care. But um, I love Facebook and one of the things I love about Facebook are all the just like dumb clickbait articles that pop up on it. I don't know if anybody else experiences this, I don't know if y'all are Facebook users or not, but there's all these just dumb articles that pop up that's like have no real informational value. Like they just serve to like get clicks so that everybody can, so they like can get re reads and stuff and look good as authors, whatever. And I read every one of them, right? I click on all of them. <laughs> and the other day uh, I was scrolling on Facebook and this article from Buzzfeed popped up and it was titled Karen's in the wild, right? <laughs> Karen's in the wild. And so I saw this article and I was like, I don't know if I need all this pettiness and drama in my life, right? Do I need it? Yeah, I do. Right? Um, and so I clicked on it, and I'm going to read it word for, you, word for you because I feel like it really illustrates this well. So here's what it said. Um, oh, sorry, actually, before I get there. So this article was just full of all these dumb stories, right, of like neighbor gets mad at kid for stepping on her grass, something like that. Like it's just stupid stuff, not important. But there was this story that I came to, and this is what it said. It said, what do you do when you go to a restaurant and your waiter is an atheist? Normally, I'll pay without leaving a tip and write a bad review on Google. This past weekend, I decided to be more proactive. I ordered the chicken livers, and when the atheist brought it to the table, I insisted that I had ordered steak. I made that loser take it back to the kitchen and make me a steak. Then I complained to the manager about the atheist, and I skipped out on the bill. Establishments need to be taught that it's not okay to hire atheists, right? Right? Establishments need to be taught that it's not okay to hire people that don't line up with my definition of neighbor, right? And now I think that's a very extreme example, a crazy example, right? I think it's extreme. We would never do this, right? I don't think anyone in this room would ever do this. If you wrote that article, you know, you can come find me in the back later. Um, right? We would never do this, but maybe we would see people of other religious beliefs, maybe somebody who's Hindu or Muslim or Buddhist or maybe atheist as well. And we might say, okay, they don't have the same beliefs as me, so I'm not going to associate with them because I don't agree with their beliefs. Or maybe we um, see somebody who votes one way and we vote the other. So we say, all right, well, your political ideals don't line up with mine, so I'm not going to spend time with you, right? Um, maybe it's lifestyle choices, right? So maybe we see somebody who likes to go out and party and drink or hook up with people, and we're like, that's, I don't know if I want to be with you. Like, I'm going to be rude to you. I'm going to insult you because I don't like your lifestyle, right? Uh, a fr I was talking to a friend the other day who told me that he went to this church, and somebody at the church told him, um, said this to him, Christians aren't allowed to vote Democrat. If you do, you're not a Christian, right? And what, they had, what this guy was doing, this guy at this church, had tied his definition of neighbor and enemy to a political party to where even somebody else that was a brother in Christ was not a neighbor anymore, right? Because his definition of neighbor was only based on political affiliation. 
right? I don't care if you vote uh, right or left or libertarian or Tea Party or whatever. I don't care. Um, <laughs> I don't care what you do. But if you tie your definition of neighbor and enemy to anything other, to any sort of political party or religious belief or uh, lifestyle choice, any of these things, you're falling into the same trap as the Pharisees, right? And Jesus is aware of this issue. He was aware of it then, and he wants us to be aware of it now. And so what he's doing is trying to redefine the way that we engage with the people around us, specifically our enemies, but our neighbors as well. See, for Jesus, the definition of enemy and the definition of neighbor are based on action, right? They're not based on culture. They're not based on religious belief. They're not based on lifestyle choice. They're based on action. And we see this starting in verse 46 where it says, uh, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have, right? And in this verse, Jesus is talking about neighbors. He's saying, if you love those who love you back, if you love your neighbors, what reward do you have, right? Because for Jesus, neighbor is defined by love. Neighbor is defined as someone who loves you. And so that's where we get our definition uh, from Jesus of who a neighbor is. It's someone who loves you. And I think there's a, a perfect example of this from the story of the Good Samaritan, right? So most of you are probably familiar with this um, over in Luke chapter 10. It's the story about uh, this parable of this Jewish man who's injured on the side of the road, right? And he gets ignored by a couple of Jewish religious leaders, a priest and a Levite. They see him on the ground injured and they pass him by, want nothing to do with him. And then this Samaritan man comes by who, if you know anything about Samaritans, they're classically defined as an enemy to Jews, right? Because they're a different culture and Jews think they're inferior people and they want nothing to do with each other. And this, this Samaritan man comes by and sees him and meets his needs and cares for him, right? And Jesus says, this is who a neighbor is. It's one who meets your needs. It's one who cares for you, right? So our definition from Jesus of neighbor is someone who loves you and cares for you. And on the flip side, we have enemy. Enemy is the exact opposite, right? It's somebody who hates you, someone who's opposed to you. In fact, the, uh, the Greek word for this word enemy used in the text here is this word called ekthros. And what it means is hostile, hating, or opposing another, right? So we have this definition of enemy, someone who cares for you and loves you, this definition of neighbor, or uh, sorry, definition of neighbor, loves and cares for you, and this definition of enemy, someone who hates you and is opposed to you. And Jesus, we see again, Jesus' definition is based on action, not on culture, not on religious beliefs, not on lifestyle choices, but on action. And Jesus is doing, what Jesus is doing here is setting a standard for them and for us to live by, right? So if we look at verse 44, it says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Right, and what this command is doing is it's showing us that we're going to have enemies, right? Jesus is not denying the fact that we will have enemies, but he's saying he wants us to be a people defined by love, right? We're going to have enemies, we're going to have people opposed to us, but we are never called to be enemies ourselves, right? Because if we look at that definition of enemy and we look at it from the way we treat people, oftentimes the enemy in the story is us, right? The enemy in the Karen story is the Karen, right? Um, so Jesus is setting the standard to live by, that he wants us to be a people defined by love. Okay, and that's what sets up our big idea for the night, which is this. It'll be on the screen. Our big idea is we love our enemies by being their neighbors. We love our enemies by being their neighbors. Now, how do we do this, right? Because that's a, a really big request, right? And on the surface, it seems kind of unfair, right? If you're similar to me, you're probably going to struggle with this. Why do I have to be the bigger person here? Why do I have to be the one who shows love to somebody who's hurt me, right? Why do I have to be the one to love the person throwing basketballs in my face, you know? Like, if you're like me, you're going to struggle with this. 
It's a hard thing to do. And I, the way I've struggled in my own life, the way I think that we're going to struggle as well, is through a lot of what Pastor Chris talked about last week with fight or flight, right? Some of us are going to struggle by fighting, okay? It's a, a natural response for us. We react out of anger, out of hurt. Somebody's hurt us, and we want to get back, get back at them, right? We want to give back uh, vengeance or justice for the hurt that's been done to us. Um, and so we actively make ourselves against someone. Uh, it can be reactive in that way, or it can be proactive, such as the Karen, right? Sometimes we're proactively spiting people that we think might be our enemies because we want to make sure that we hurt them before they have a chance to hurt us, right? So we, we find ways to be spiteful. We find ways to be rude. We find ways to make it known that we are against this person because of their lifestyle. Um, and all it does, all that serves to do fighting is create more hurt and more bitterness and more anger and more misery, both in ourselves and in the person we're fighting against, right? So I've seen this in my own life. Like, this was what I wanted to do towards the bully. You know, I wanted to go up and fight him. This is what Chris talked about last week, where he wants to just fight anyone who wrongs him. This is what uh, the Apostle Peter did in the garden when Jesus was arrested, and he took his sword and he cut off the servant's right ear, right? Because he wanted to get back at these people that were trying to arrest Jesus. And Jesus said, no, like, calm down, man. It's okay. Put your sword away. This isn't how we act. This isn't how you're called to act, right? All it serves to do is create more hurt and more division and more misery. The second way that we struggle, and this is where I find myself the most, is by hiding. Okay? Some of us take that flight response and we see a hurt towards ourselves and we try to hide ourselves away from it, right? It can be reactive or proactive, right? So somebody's uh, hurt me, somebody's thrown a basketball at me, and I'm just going to avoid the conflict. I'm going to run away from it. Um, I'm going to just harbor all this bitterness and anger inside my heart um, and let it build up, right? This is what happened with me and my bully, okay? Like, I wanted to fight him, but I didn't, but I chose not to love him either. And it got to the point where I would go to church, and I'd show up in student ministry, and if I saw this guy, all of my focus, all of my energy was based around his presence, you know? All my time was spent focused on the presence of this guy rather than the presence of God. So I'd show up, and I'd have all this anger toward him, all this bitterness, um, and it just built up and built up and built up until eventually I just I couldn't focus on anything else when he was around, right? Uh, proactively, this looks like hiding portions of ourselves in order to prevent having enemies in the first place, right? So if you're listening along to this and you're saying to yourself, I don't know if I really have any enemies, like this might be you. You might be um, hiding a portion of yourself because you're afraid of the reaction it's going to cause, right? And what this looks like is uh, maybe you're at work and the conversation turns towards faith, right? Your coworkers are talking about things they believe in and you keep silent because you're afraid that they're going to judge you for your beliefs, right? And it's only once you realize maybe they're in favor of your beliefs that you'll speak up, right? Or maybe, maybe you're hanging out with some friends and they are uh, saying things you don't agree with, doing things you don't agree with. Uh, maybe they're making some crude jokes, things like that. And rather than speak up and be willing to disagree and stand up for what you believe in, uh, you go along with it and agree anyways because you're afraid that if you disagree, you're going to come across as a judgy person or they're going to judge you for it, right? And like I said, this is myself. Like, this is where I fall most of the time, right? And you might be thinking to yourself, like, Thomas, you're on stage right now preaching a sermon. Like, how is this you? But if you look around, like, at the people in the room that I'm talking to, I'm talking to a bunch of Christians here, right? talking to a bunch of people who, for the most part, probably agree with the things I'm saying. 
But there's been countless instances in my life where I could have shared my faith with someone, right? I could have uh, shared it with a coworker or in college with a fellow student or with a friend who I've built a relationship with. I could have shared my faith and I didn't because I was afraid of the reaction I was gonna, gonna get. I was afraid that they were gonna become an enemy and not like me because of my faith. And in doing so, I'm not loving them well, right? Now, I'm not saying we should uh, go on the street corners and scream at people and make them known what we believe and just scream at them until we get enemies and hate, they hate us. Like, we shouldn't go out seeking to make enemies, right? But we should be willing to share our faith regardless of the cost because doing any less than that is not loving people well, right? So we love our enemies by being their neighbors. It seems unfair at the surface level. I'd rather hide or fight I'd rather do any of those things than have to go and love them proactively, right? But doing so is only gonna create more pent-up bitterness and more pent-up anger, right? And so we are called to respond to this. Here's how we're called to respond to this. When we get, rather than fighting, rather than hiding, we're called to respond in prayer and in forgiveness, okay? Prayer and forgiveness. And here's that, what that looks like. When the world seems out to get us, when there's people that wanna hurt us, when we wanna run away, or we want to fight back, we are called to instead get up close and get personal and bring peace and proximity through prayer and through forgiveness, right? Because oftentimes we have this urge that we just, we want to get out of there. We don't want to be in the situation. But Jesus is calling us to something more. He's calling us to be a people that are willing to be classified as love and characterized by love and get up close and personal with people, right? And so prayer and forgiveness. Prayer comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. Uh, so if you look at uh, verse 44, it says, um, pray for those who persecute you, right? This is straight from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus is calling us to pray for those who persecute us because by doing so, it's going to start to remove some of those seeds of hatred or anger or bitterness that we have stored up in our heart, right? right? If I had taken the time to pray for the bully instead of just avoiding the conflict, maybe I would have been able to spend some time focused on God while I was at church and not sitting there uh, just angry and bitter towards him, right? Prayer is a tool we have to seek the better for the people around us, the people that are against us. And prayer is a weapon that we have to fight back against the real enemy, right? Because there is a real enemy out there, a real enemy who would love nothing more than for us to be bitter and angry and miserable and divided and spending our time hating each other, right? There's a real enemy out there. Uh, are there any uh, Hunger Games fans in the room? Yeah, yeah. I love Hunger Games, read them all when I was in high school. And I was re-watching uh, Catching Fire the other day, right? That's the second movie. And there's this really awesome scene towards the end of it. Spoiler alert, like, if you haven't seen it by now, you, you lost your chance, but uh, <laughs> spoiler alert. So there's this awesome scene where Katniss is, like, running through the woods, and she thinks that all of her allies have betrayed her, right? There's this crazy fight scene going on. Everyone's running around, and she thinks everyone's left her. She's all on her own. And in the distance, she sees Finnick, who's one of her allies, right? She sees him in the distance, and he doesn't see her, and she picks up her bow, and she's, she's aiming at him. She's ready. She's about to take a shot. And he sees this. He sees her in the distance with her bow at the ready. And he puts his hands up, and he says this line. He says, remember who the real enemy is, right? Because he knows there's a bigger enemy out there, right? The bigger enemy in this story is President Snow, and President Snow is watching this on TV while it's happening in real time. He sees Katniss with that bow, and he's saying to himself, let it fly, Katniss. Let it fly. Because he knows if she takes that shot, if she lets that arrow go, all it's going to do is ruin 
all the trust and unity that they'd built up, right? If she lets that arrow go, any sort of steps that they'd taken towards uh, allyship and uh, helping each other and supporting each other instead is going to be replaced by anger and by hurt and by harm and by bitterness, right? He knows that if she lets that arrow fly, it's going to ruin any chance that they have to resist, resist him, right? Because the only way that these people have to resist the enemy in this story is by coming together and having unity and peace and being able to come together and fight against it, right? And in the same way, we have a real enemy out there, Satan, the devil, who would love nothing more than for us to spend our days fighting each other and being bitter with each other and hurting each other, right? He would love nothing more than for us to spend our days shooting our, our metaphorical arrows at each other and gossiping and fighting and running away because we're afraid of the conflict and uh, doing whatever we can to bring down those people that are against us because he knows the only way we can resist the schemes of the devil is through peace and is through unity. It's through coming together and sharing love. And in the process, we find so much more joy, right? Because living our lives in a state that's characterized by anger and bitterness is just such a miserable way to live, right? Right? This is, do you think the, uh, the Karen in the Karen in the Wild story, do you think she came home from that meal and said to herself, man, that was such a good dinner, right? Like I had such a good time at dinner tonight. No, that sounds miserable, right? That sounds like the most miserable dinner I could imagine. But the enemy out there knows that if we can spend our time fighting each other and divided from each other, it's going to draw us further from God, further from Jesus, and further from each other as well, Right? So Jesus is wanting us to come together with prayer and forgiveness to find peace and healing, right? And Jesus modeled this better for us than anyone ever could, right? Because who is Jesus talking to in this sermon? He's talking to the people that a few chapters later are going to be calling for his head, right? They're going to be asking for his crucifixion. They're going to be insulting him and beating him and torturing him and saying, hey, you are not our neighbor. You are our enemy because you are threatening the way we live and we want nothing to do with you. Right? And Jesus had the power to call down the armies of heaven and wipe out anyone that was against him, to fight back and destroy all of these people. Or he had the power to run away because he knew this was going to happen, right? He knew what was going to happen when he went to the garden. And he had the power and the choice to run away and hide from the conflict. And instead he allowed it to happen. He allowed himself to go through pain and torture and abuse and mocking and insulting because he loved his enemies so well. Right, because he loved us so well. Right, because we, before uh, our reconciliation to God, were considered enemies through our sin. And yet Jesus loved us so much that he became our neighbor, neighbor and died on the cross for us, right? He loved his enemies so much that thou, while they were killing him, he asked God to forgive them, right? He prayed and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is our model. This is our model, prayer and forgiveness. Prayer is a tool that we have for the better of those around us, and it's a weapon that we have to fight back against the real enemy. And in doing so, it's going to allow us to get up close with people and find peace and find love through prayer and through forgiveness, right? And forgiveness is hard. It's so hard. Right? This is not an easy thing to do, but forgiveness is the only way that we're going to be able to move forward from hurt and instead find healing, Right? And I've seen this to be true in my own life. When I was in college, my, my parents got divorced. And it was something that I, I didn't see coming at the time, right? I, um, I wasn't expecting it. 
And I chose in that moment to do what I naturally do, which is to hide. So my parents set up a counseling appointment for my siblings and I. Um, and they said, hey, this is happening. Like, we know it hurts. We want you to go and see some counseling and work through whatever you may be feeling. And I said, no, nah, I'm good. I don't need that, right? My, my siblings with, went without me because I was tough. And I didn't need help, right? I didn't need to process these things, right? I wasn't hurting. I was fine. But on the inside, I was full of bitterness. I was full of anger. And I was full of hurt, right? Because somebody that I loved had hurt me. You know, I put a lot of this blame on my dad in the time. And what I didn't realize is that it was hurting my relationship with him. You know, I, at the time, I probably wouldn't have said, like, oh, my dad's my enemy. My dad did this thing to hurt me. But in reality, there was all this anger that I had built up towards him to where now whenever I saw him, I didn't want to spend time with him, right? I was, I was hurting. And I realized I had a choice, right? I could spend each morning waking up and viewing my dad as my enemy and being an enemy in return, right? I could just be bitter and angry and miserable and choose to never approach the conflict or the hurt that I was feeling and just spend the rest of my time hiding from it and doing that. Or I could be a neighbor. I could choose to spend my time trying to bring reconciliation. I could talk to my dad about the things that I was feeling, right? I could process the hurt and the anger and the bitterness that I was feeling and use that as a way to move forward. And ultimately, that's the only thing that brought healing to that relationship, right? And my dad and I have talked about this. You know, we've, we've talked about some of the, uh, the hurt that I felt. We've talked about forgiveness. I've been able to forgive my dad. Um, and in the process, our relationship has gotten to a point where it's better than it ever was, right? I'm able to now come to him and talk about things. You know, he even, we talked about this message. He knew I was going to talk about this tonight. We were able to process this message. And what does it look like to love your enemies, right? Because... I was able to be a neighbor and forgive somebody that had hurt me and in the process find healing myself, find healing with my relationship with my dad, give him healing as well. Right? So maybe for you this isn't parents. Maybe it's not parents or divorce. It's probably true for some of us, but not all of us. Maybe for you it is that, that coworker that's gossiped about you or that friend that's gossiped about you. Maybe it's um, that person that hurt you in some way. Maybe it's the bully that's throwing basketballs at you, right? All of us have experienced these enemies before and have tried to answer how to interact with them, and this is what Jesus is calling us to. Prayer, forgiveness, to love and reconcile, right? Loving our enemies is not fair, right? I, I don't want to have to love the people that have hurt me. It's not fair. But don't let us forget that Jesus died for his enemies, Right? Jesus died for his enemies and loved them so much that he died and suffered so that we could be reconciled. Prayer and forgiveness allow us to move forward and find peace and joy and love in the process. Let the love and forgiveness that you've experienced from Jesus give you the courage to go out and love and forgive others. And in doing so, you'll find peace, and you'll find hope, and you'll find healing. Right? And if, if this is something you have questions about, if maybe you have questions about reconciliation from Jesus, maybe you have never accepted this sacrifice he made for you, come talk to us. Come find us. I'll be in the back. We'll have a team in the back there as well. If you have questions on how to forgive, if you want prayer for forgiveness, come find us, right? 
All you have to do is ask. Jesus already did the work. He already died for you. He already has taken that sacrifice for you. All you have to do is ask. So if you need uh, prayer or anything, please come find me. Let's close in prayer, okay? Father, let us not forget, Lord, the sacrifice that you chose to make for us. When you had every right to hate us, when you had every right to be an enemy to us, you instead chose to be a neighbor and chose to love us and have mercy on us and meet our needs, God. God, let us not forgive this. Let us use this as motivation and inspiration to bring healing and love and reconciliation to those who have hurt us, God. And in the process, I pray that you provide healing and peace and joy. In Jesus' name, amen.